Smoking Cigar Cast, a weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debbin, and I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. As traditional as pumpkin spice lattes, fall is cigar season. It is. We're not quite there yet. It's still really warm out. But you feel, you know, at night is when I really feel yeah. it. When we're having about that six thirty, seven o'clock cigar, the sun's going down and we're on the back porch. You can almost feel all feel autumn coming on. See, I, I'm a little spoiled on that because when I was in Colorado this weekend, it was like they're, they really are getting that fall. It's still, still warm during the day, but man, the sun goes down. It chills off. You need a jacket. Oh, yeah. Well, so I'm, I'm definitely already feeling that fall spirit. Well, first, let's light up some cigars, and then I want to hear about your race. I want to hear about all of that. I'm sure I've heard about it, but I want our listeners yeah. to hear about it. All right. Well, yeah, I'm going to need a fresh cigar for this. Yeah, you definitely need, need a good, clean palate. So I got something last night. The poker game was going on, and someone threw this one in the pot. Huh. And I said, that is not something I would have ever expected to see in your hands. Yes. So they threw the new Punch Diablo in the poker pot. And of course, I had to win at that point. So I did. (laughs) Um, So the Punch Diablo, this is an interesting cigar. This is a Fernandez and General Cigar collaboration. Knowing knowing AJ Fernandez blend style and seeing all the amazing stuff that General's been doing lately, I. I'm expecting a home run out of that. Well, so this is made from four country blend of tobaccos. I love that wording. That's a great wording. Yeah. And uh, it's almost as good as having a six demon bag. But um, You lost me. you never seen Big Trouble in Little China? Uh-uh. All right, we've got to stop the podcast now and watch Big Trouble in Little China. Okay. I'll consider it my homework while you're on your cruise. We'll be back in an hour and a half. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Cigar Cast. No. And so, we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Now, wasn't that a great movie, Trey? Uh-huh. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> the wrapper is Ecuadorian, a Sumatra seed leaf, and general is calling it Oscuro. Another dark leaf is used for the binder, broadly from the Connecticut River Valley. Ooh. And the filler is a mix of Nicaraguan and Honduran grown from Cuban seed. Now, let me tell you. I don't buy into the Cuban seed thing I was just much. about to say, are we still doing that? Yeah. Everyone, would, everyone says Cuban seed. No one cares. Like, I, I get it. It's a marketing thing. It's a buzzword. But does anyone really care? Oh, is this a Cuban seed or is this Nicaraguan seed? Right. Is it Martian seed? I, I don't care. It's grown in where it's grown is what matters. Right. Where, and what happens to it after it leaves the plant as well as what happens to it once I light it is right. what matters. Yeah. But I am excited about this cigar. I've seen it at the IPCPR. This is a smaller Vitola than I would usually choose. It looks like, almost looks like a Churchill. It's a long, to- oh no, okay, you, uh, your I'm, hand was just obscuring the foot. It's a it's a Toro. Uh, it's a five and 54. a quarter. It's called the Diabolus. Okay. It's five and a quarter by 54. Yeah. Sells for seven seventy nine. Not bad. So I'm interested to see what this is like. Like I said, they don't carry it. He don't have them here at this shop yet. So when this one got through into the poker pot last night. You had to have it. Oh, I got very excited. I knew I had to make this happen. I'd imagine so. And that's, so that's when I started taking the cards out of my sleeve, the ones out of my shoe, the ones behind my head. <laughs> but what do you have? So I have got a cigar that I really love, but man, I walk by it in the humidor all the time. It's and, and we don't smoke. This is probably only maybe the second or third time we've smoked a Perdomo on the show, but I'm a huge Perdomo fan. Looks like they did a little rebranding lately because this there's a lot more color to this band than I remember. And instead of being a separate uh, primary band with, a, with collar, it, they've m- merged it into one big band. That's getting into the, the top of what you would consider band size. Yeah, that's that's pretty healthy band. Yeah, uh, but it is the twentieth anniversary. <laughs> Getting you pretty good. That's that's got some. Kick. I wish our listeners could have seen the look on your face. It's yeah. like when the kid drinks the first taste of whiskey and the, the face just goes all sour. Yeah, that's that's got a little that kick to it on the, the teeth. Yeah, on the initial draw, that sucker is. It's got some. Got some punch to it, huh? Some punch. I'm. I would like to get a hold of. Let me get the. The um, scamp, six and an eighth by 50. Now the brute, six and a quarter by 60. That's what I need is the brute. Yeah. Well, if there's anything, I mean, 
if I had to guess, I would always say that you could use a brute. I could always use a brute. Yeah. And I'll, but carry on. Sorry, I'm sorry that my... No, that was... That, I've never seen a cigar hit your face quite like that before. That, it's, a, it's something. It's got a different kick to it. I'll be interested to see how it continues to change throughout the cigar if it's starting out that bold. But that's Fernandez yeah. for you. Yeah, it is. It's really more Fernandez than general. I'm definitely okay. getting pepper, but lots Fern- of pepper. But Fernandez taste and strength at a general price point uh, sounds pretty good. So, all right. So you were talking about the Perdomo. Yes, I was. So this is the 20th anniversary Sun Grown. This cigar came out, what, maybe about five or six, seven years ago. It's been out for a little while. Right. And it's one that I've smoked and bought several boxes of. It's a great cigar. I, I've said it before on the show, and it bears repeating Perdomo does a sun-grown wrapper better than anybody else in the industry. I love their sun-grown, and you can taste it. You get any cigar that they make with a sun-grown wrapper, and you can and you know that that's what's on it. It's just so um, specific. The first sun-grown wrapper I ever smoked was that cigar, and all. And at the time, the shop we went to is reputed as a mild cigar shop. And all, and I didn't realize, and so the sun grown hit me harder then than it usually does. And I was like, this is awesome. And then after I started going to real cigar shops and seeing what real cigars tasted like, it really was, um, it fell back from me a lot. It's not one I pick up on a regular basis now. See, the sun grown, I think, hits a lot of people a lot of different ways. It's got a lot of flavor to it, but it's a nuanced flavor. It's not like your Connecticut Broadleaf where you're going to get a lot of strength out of it and some caramel, chocolatey kind of sweetness. It, it's different things to different people. Uh, I really enjoy the flavor. It's not something that I smoke on a daily or even weekly basis anymore like I once did. I, I, but every time I go back to it, I'm reminded why I like it. Now it's burning my nasal hair. <laughs> I didn't. I did. Uh, I blew it out, and then I took. I didn't retrohale, but I got a little bit of it in my nose, and it's actually burning my nasal hair. That happened to me the other day, and I can retrohale with the best of them, but when you're not expecting it, that's a horse of a different color. Yeah, it kind of your eyes tear up. It gets a little more off the off the kilter, but I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying that. This is. I can tell you now, a quarter of an inch into it. You better be a cigar smoker if you buy a Punch Diablo. Yeah, and uh, have a, uh, and probably have something on your belly before you light it up as well. Oh, definitely. Now this is chasing the crawfish enchiladas I had for dinner. Excellent. Oh, I'd imagine so. Then uh, I did crawfish have, Diablo and a uh, Punch Diablo. Yeah, worked out just right. But so let's talk about the first thing I want to talk about tonight. It got me very excited this week. So they have moved. Oh, but this retails around nine, ten bucks, and it's I'm smoking the Toro size. And How long are you going to take to introduce that cigar? Well, <laughs> you keep interrupting me. <laughs> Come on, Trey. It's only an hour show. <laughs> Get your cigar lit for crying out loud! You're killing me. <laughs> you know I couldn't resist. Oh, I know, and that's why that's why I teed you up for it. So the 2019 Puro Sabor Festival. This is the Nicaraguan Cigar Festival. Has been canceled in Nicaragua because of all the civil unrest and we're not going to go into the politics of all the civil unrest in Nicaragua let's just say everything's going pretty rough down there at this time I think it's only a matter of time before that actually starts affecting some of the cigars we love but the upside to this is it is now going to be held in Miami Florida January 26 2019 okay I think I may have to buy a ticket to Miami. I'll be busy that day. You'll be busy. How do you know you'll be busy on January 26th already? <laughs> we can talk about that later um, in the show because it's actually kind of pertains to this past weekend. But, no, I, I think that sounds like I really love the idea of bringing something with that much uh, history into the States. I mean, the U.S., we smoke more cigars than any other country in the world. And, you know, so to take something like that Nicaraguan Cigar Festival and kind of bring it home, so to speak, even though cigars by and large aren't made here, I feel like that's a great way to bring some of the the celebration of the cigar uh, to where it's enjoyed the most. 
I think once the organizers of the festival do this for a year, I think it'll become an annual thing. I think there'll just be two festivals. I think they'll do it in Nicaragua, and then they'll come do it in Miami. Well, you look at cigar festivals over the past few years, and we've seen more and more start to come out. You know, the Chattanooga Tweet Up was one that was started just with a bunch of guys on Twitter that love cigars, kind of, and now it's a huge thing. Multiple vendors, like the cigar festival, is kind of becoming a, a bit of an event. Well, you got Big Smoke Vegas, you got Big Smoke Miami, you know, the aficionado ran events. You have all of these different things going on, so it only makes sense. But I may have to try to make arrangements to fly to Miami on in January. I bet it'll be a really fun time. Well, and January is a good time to go to Miami if you live in Tennessee. Yeah, <laughs> and all because. Once deer pretty, much, se- pretty much no matter where you live. Yeah. Once deer season is over, I'm done with winter. Mm-hmm. And deer season ends the 1st of January, so by the 26th, I'm really done with winter. You're really itching to find some sun. Yeah, so that, that's hitting about the right time. I'm thinking that may be a trip Glenda and I have to make. <laughs> so, speaking of trips that had to be made, mm-hmm. tell us of the journey to Colorado. So, I will try and keep this short. Because Lord knows I could go on about it forever. And I have pretty much been talking about it nonstop since Saturday. And here we are on Wednesday, just to give you an idea. I have been... So, just to recap, in case anyone hasn't been following us, I went out to Colorado to run up Pikes Peak. It's a 14er. The summit is at 14,115 feet of elevation. Of all the 14ers in the Rocky in Colorado... It's the tallest from its base, so it's not surrounded by a lot of taller mountains. It, the start of the race was at 6,000 feet of elevation, so you're climbing 7,500 feet over the course of a half marathon. This was a race that I've been prepping for for over a year. Uh, I made the decision back last July that I was going to run this, and we get there, flew out a couple of days early, did some training runs. I love the elevation. I, you know, everyone talks about going to elevation and it doesn't affect me at all. And I felt great. My legs were there. My lungs were there. I was in perfect shape for this race. Come Saturday morning, 30 minutes before the start of the race, they announced that because of uh, unfavorable weather forecast, not unfavorable weather, I want to make that very clear, but because of the forecast, they were shortening the race. And so we were going to turn around at Bar Camp. Bar Camp is one of the aid stations about halfway through the race. It's 7.6 miles in, but it's half of your elevation gain and uh, should be about half of your total time. It's the first time cutoff. So if you don't make it in the full race, if you don't make it there by 1030, they say stop. You can't go any further. Uh, ended up now, being, do they make you stop or do they just encourage you to stop? No, they make you stop. They make you turn around. Okay. Uh, Because it's dangerous to be... So anyone who's spent any time around mountains of that size knows that weather on the mountains is very unpredictable. And this time of year, there's always a storm on the summit in the afternoon, which is why they imposed the six-and-a-half-hour time limit to get up there uh, because that puts the final finisher at, uh, at the summit about 1.30 in the afternoon. Any later than that, and you run serious risk of hailstorms, snow, and lightning. And, well, are we running a race or are we running a race? Well, I mean, I, again, I could talk about that forever because we do actually have to sign a very exhaustive and extensive waiver that says we understand the risk of traveling at that altitude, of racing on that type of terrain, and the unpredictability of the weather. So to have the race organizers, again, 30 minutes before the start of the race, tell us they're not even going to let us summit, I thought was a real, I thought it was a bad move. The weather actually ended up being perfect. Now, to the race organizer's credit and the race director who ultimately had to make that decision, you're not only looking at the safety of the people running it, but also the volunteers. And they're currently redoing the summit house, so there's no, once you get above treeline, there is no protection from the element. So if it starts lightning and hailing, you're out there in it. So I understand safety has to be the primary concern, and that's why they did it. However, weather on these mountains is very unpredictable, and to base that on a forecast that is pretty much the same every day, even though it's unpredictable, it's kind of predictable, 
It's predictable in its unpredictability. Um, I, th- I thought it was a little short-sighted, and the weather act- on the summit actually ended up being perfect all day. And they, in my opinion, they canceled the race for no reason. So um, I was brokenhearted. I was really gutted uh, that I didn't get to make the summit. That was something that I had built up. I had a lot of emotional stake in this race. It meant a lot to me to be able to do it. And so come next August, I'm going back to Colorado. I, I That mountain is mine. I have to get up it. So allow me to dig. How many times in the history of this race has that happened? Never before. So this was the first this time? This was the first time. So what they typically do in these situations, if the weather is looking like it's going to get nasty earlier than otherwise expected, they impose stricter time cutoffs. So there are two places on the mountain, Bar Camp I mentioned earlier, and the other one is A-Frame, and it's another 45 minutes or an hour up. A-Frame is the last before you go above the tree line. So once you're below the tree line, you've got some protection from the elements, that sort of thing. So usually what they'll do is impose stricter time cutoffs so that the faster runners get to still make the summit before the weather rolls in. But if you're a little bit slower, you run the risk of not being able to make it. That's what they've always done in the past. Uh, In my opinion, that's what they should have done this time. But this is the first time in 63 years that they have ever... Uh, shorten the race preemptively like this. So what was your time to bar camp? Uh, well, they also changed the start waves about two hours. Which puts you on pace to finish? In about in about four and a half. Okay. So you'd have been, you'd have been right where you wanted to be. I'd have been right where I wanted to be. It was, I mean, we were in one of the later waves because I used an older qualifier, um, which made, which was from back before I started training. It was a couple of years ago. And so I was, it became a hike pretty quickly. And so next year, I plan to qualify a little bit more aggressively, be in one of the earlier groups, uh, and, and be able to attack the mountain. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping to be sub four hours next year. So if you're in the later groups and the trails have kind of been beat down by the people in front of you, does that make it harder or easier? So that's less of a concern. So the way that it starts on the road, it starts in the middle of the city, of Manitou or the town of Manitou Springs there and which is a really cool town I highly recommend if anyone gets the opportunity to go to Colorado Springs in that area spend some time in Manitou Springs it's a fun little quirky artsy town and um, you run the first mile is all paved from that point it becomes single track so it's all dirt and rock mostly switchbacks and one lane so the, the people beating down the trail is less of a concern, and it comes it's more about traffic because you've got so many people. Glad I'm keeping you so interested. <laughs> uh, you've got so many people in front of you that it slows it, it just slows you down because of traffic. Sorry, that was not a comment on your story. Uh, just, yeah, okay. This cigar is is something. <laughs> and I'm I'm not sure this is. This is definitely among the stoutest cigars I've smoked this year. That's quite a statement from you. I mean, the, it's now it's good. It's real good. I think you would love it. And I'm not a pepper guy. Mm-hmm. But when I started it out and that pepper first pepper hit me, I was like, what am I in tune for? But now that it's warmed up and I'm about two-thirds into the cigar, this is just a good smoke. Yeah. This will definitely be something I find in my travels on the, to the cruise ship. Well, it, next time you come across one, grab one for me because I'm I'm really excited to give it a, a shot based on what you're finding so far. Yeah, I'll bring an extra one because it's it's a different flavor. Mm-hmm. It's something. There's something to this cigar, and all. But sorry to interrupt your story. That's all right. My apologies. Um, so I'm proud of you. I'm glad you got to go. I'm glad that you were on pace to do it. I'm sorry it didn't work out, but everything has a reason. Yeah, it does. And uh, and like I said, I'll be back next year. Um, I've actually already, and this is how I know that I'll be um, busy January 26th. I've already, you know, being so gutted from not being able to race, you know, you kind of get a certain energy around race day. And if you don't get to release that, it kind of builds up. So I've already planned January 26th. I'm got doing, blue shoes. Yeah. I, I mean, really. It's, it's, so at the, at the end of October, I'm doing a, a century bike ride, a 100-mile bike ride. And then January 26th, I'm going down to Mississippi to do a, my first full marathon. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
that'll be a lot of fun. Okay, so let's get back to cigars. Tell me about the Perdomo you know, in, in 8,000 words or less. <laughs> you know, as soon as I lit it up, it was everything I remembered. You know, about right around the time you were getting into cigars, about eight or nine years ago, humidors had a certain smell. I feel like it's changed a little bit in recent years. I don't know if technology has changed or if the cigars inside the humidor have changed a little bit. But this is such a classic flavor. As soon as I lit it up, it was just, it was nostalgic. And I don't have another word for it. It's, I mean, it's smooth. It's got a little bit of pepper to it, but not much. And it just, it reminds me of a cigar from 10 years ago. You know, Perdomo is one of those brands that really seems to fly under the radar. If you ask, if you go through the shop right now, there's... 30 people here smoking cigars. I'd imagine I'm the only Perdomo. You're probably one of the few, one or maybe two people smoking Perdomo, and it's definitely a better cigar than that. It is. They, um, if I'm being brutally honest, I think part of it is the fact that lately, over the past few years or so, all of their boxes have these little fold-out shelf cards. Right. And so you kind of get lost in all of the marketing. You don't get to see the boxes. It's all these little, you know, placards on the front that kind of give you the breakdown a little bit. And I feel like it's just a little noisy. Now, does it turn you off when you see the little placard flop down and it says aficionado rated 94? Not really. But my, my problem with it, I mean, is when it's every box in your line. And that's that's what Perdomo has done. And and. You know, to their credit, they have every right to be proud of the quality of their cigar and how highly every single one of their cigars in their lineup is. I I absolutely commend them, and I think they have every right to be proud of it. But when you've got, you know, 20 facings in a humidor and every single one of them has that placard, it just visually, it's kind of hard to negotiate. Well, they also don't differentiate enough in their boxes between the blends of their cigars. They have gotten a lot better about that, though. You know, you you walk into the humidor right now, and you look at the Drew Estate section. Every cigar has its own very distinct box. Yeah. Perdomo boxes kind of can blend together. Um, you know, even Gurkha, as much as I hate Gurkha, they do a great job of diversifying their box. No one does better on-shelf marketing than Gurkha. I will give them that. Their box designs, their label designs, everything is phenomenal. And they stand out in a humidor for that reason. Uh, Rocky Patel, another cigar that we don't smoke a lot of on the show, when you see their cigars on the shelf, you know what you're looking at. And you're looking at something very unique, and, it, and it's eye-catching. But the thing with Perdomo is you're, you know what you're getting every time. Their quality control, and I've said it before, is better than anybody else in the industry. Their quality control is their cigars are so consistent, cigar to cigar, box to box, and even blend to blend. You're going to notice different things across different blends, but you always know when it's a Perdomo cigar, and you always know it's going to be good and consistent and and, and I think they do that better than anybody else. I think you're right. I think that is one of the things they do very well. But let's step away for a break. Let's rest. Because when we come back, I want us to talk about resting your cigar. All right. I want to talk about the resting process from the time you get them, even during your smoke of them. So enjoy the Cigar Under 8, and we'll be right back. Trey here with this week's Cigar Under $8. want to talk about a cigar that I smoked the heck out of when I was in Europe. Actually, it's the Toscano Antico, and you can get them here in the States. I, I, talk, I spoke very highly of them. Uh, it's a mostly Italian cigar. Most of the, the tobaccos are grown in Tus- the Tuscany region of Italy, but also with a little bit of Kentucky fire cure thrown in there. And these are Italian dry-cured tobacco. Mm-hmm. So these don't have to be humidified. These are also known as the friendship cigar. You can take one of these cigars, you can whack it in half and share it with a friend, which is not something you can do with a lot of cigars. And it's actually a fairly common practice in Italy that they will cut them in half, um, either to save one half for later or to share with a friend, to the point that they actually now even sell them in the half cheroot size. 
and cheroots, you know, we talked about them early in the podcast, and I wasn't a big fan, but this has grown on me. I mean, since Austin's got them here, I love them. Well, cheroots are not all created equal. Um, you know, it's not going to be the prettiest cigar you've ever seen by a long shot. It's not going to be really the nicest cigar that you've ever had, but it pu- packs a lot of flavor, and a five-pack of these is going to cost you about 22 bucks. So you're looking at just over $4.50 a cigar, and... Don't let the size fool you. It's an hour to hour and 20 minute smoke. I mean, it burns really slow and it's just, it's a phenomenal smoke. It's a great cigar and everybody out there should give it a try. And welcome back to the Cigar Cast. I'm one of your hosts, Shane Reeves, sitting across from the Perdomo Smoking Machine. (laughs) Welcome (laughs) back, everybody. This is just such a good cigar. I'm just, I'm tickled to death. This is exactly the cigar I wanted today. It's not bells and whistles. It's not rolled on the thigh of a virgin. It's not made with monkey's tail. It's just a classic blend. Now, if you're going to talk bad about the Roma Craft monkey tail, we just can't have a podcast. <laughs> I, that would be a perfect brand to do the monkey tail oh yeah that's definitely a roma craft name yeah and i would absolutely smoke that yeah that's that's definitely a roma craft name but anyway well the punch diablo still performing well this this could sweat on your brow oh yeah this could very easily become one of my favorite cigars this is so rich i've i've never seen a man fall in love right in front of my eyes before well it's it's just rich and that's the only word to describe it um the flavors are very profound but they're not when you first light it, it kicks you in the teeth. Yeah. But now that it's warmed up, the flavors have mellowed just enough that you can kind of pull out the distincts. You know, I've got a little acorn. I've got a little um, little bit of pepper. The pepper's died off a lot, which I'm very thankful for because I'm not a gigantic pepper guy. Yeah. Um, but the flavors are just rich. It's, it's kind of like a real good, rich chocolate. And all without any of the sweet sweetness right. to that. So, let's talk about resting your cigar. All right. What is, so, there's a couple of different... When we say resting the cigar, there's a couple of different things. Um, two weeks ago, Cigar.com had my Undercrown Shades on sale. It's like $169 a box for the 6x60s. Wow. And there's like 24 in a box. So, I ordered a box. And I don't usually order cigars online, but this was too good a deal to pass up. But whenever I order cigars, I feel the need to rest them in my humidor for a certain amount of time before I actually start smoking them. What's your thoughts? Now, what is your, what is your time frame? I check the... It, now, it's going to depend a lot on the cigar. Okay. You know, when I touch the cigar, does it feel hard? You know, does it come out of the cellophane hard as a rock? Because that's a... To me, that's the biggest indication is, is your cigar properly humidified? If you tap it on the table, and that's what it sounds like... Probably need to rest that just a little bit longer in the humidor, but generally, um, if they're soft when I get them, a week or two. If they're a little harder, maybe as long as a month. So I, I'm in the week. I'm pretty much a, a strict week guy. I mean, if you're especially if you're talking about either buying a box the day it comes in at your local shop or buying it online. Typically, they're going to come from a humidity-controlled warehouse. They're going to spend maybe a couple of days on the truck. Everyone's usually pretty good about expediting their shipping on these, but they're all packed with those little humid packs, so you don't have to worry about them really drying out. Just the heat kind of gets to them a little bit. I think a week you're good. Well, and it's actually people would think the heat would do more to them than it does. The heat actually comes with humidity, and that doesn't hurt your cigar. Well, it does. it does here. It doesn't everywhere. Uh, again, Colorado, it was dry as a bone. You know, you get out, further out west, Phoenix being a perfect example of it being a dry heat. You know, that's going to sap the humidity right out of your cigar. Well, and especially if you order a box in the wintertime, mm-hmm. you know, and they've been on the truck and it's cold. To me, the cold will dry out a cigar far, far faster than heat. Yeah, I think that has more to do with ambient humidity than it does the temperature, though. And, you know, the boxes are cedar. Usually they have a cedar slat in there, and sometimes they'll even slip a little pack in there just to be sure everything stays kosher. Right. And, I'll, and I'm prone to just pull those packs out and throw them in my humidor just to add to the overall ambient or in my travel humidor. Right. A lot of times I'll throw those in my travel humidor. But Fun little top tip about that, actually. Did you know that you can recharge those? 
I've heard it, but I've never actually done it. So I've actually got one that I've used about three or four times now. I, I will only do it five times at a max because they're really not meant for that. They can handle it because uh, it's the same crystals that you get in those reusable jars. Right. Um, but it's really, but you can do it the wrong way because the envelopes they're in are mostly paper. In order to do it properly, get yourself a Tupperware or other airtight like uh, kitchen container. Put a little ramekin or small glass of water. It can even be tap water. doesn't have to be distilled. But put that in the container with the dried up Humipack and wait a week. And the natural evaporation, so you're getting pure water vapor. So basically what you're doing is just distilling it the slow, long, hard way. But as that evaporation occurs, because you're in an airtight container, it will be reabsorbed by the crystals. And then you can recharge that and you can use it a few times. That makes sense. That makes great sense. And, I'll, and yeah, because I've heard people say, oh, just put them in a bowl of water. Mm-mm. But that's just, to me, that just makes the paper wet and fragile. It does. And also, most of the time people are talking about that, they're, they're using tap water. And you don't want to ever use tap water to refill a humidifier, whether it's a sponge or crystals or whatever, because there's impurities and there's um, fluoride and there's other stuff. But by doing it that way, it's more passive. It takes more time, but you're getting pure water vapor, and so it's basically distilled water. Yeah, I only use tap water in my humidor. You know, I have the mechanical humidification system, and I only ever fill that up with distilled water. And and not purified water, not spring water, but be sure it's distilled water, that it's been evaporated and recaptured. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's it now. While you're smoking the cigar... I'm notorious, Jonathan talked about it a week or two ago, I'm notorious for smoking too fast. Mm. I'm actually, because we're talking about this, making myself take longer between puffs on this Diablo just because I do want it to to last and I do want to get all the flavors. I don't want to burn it so hot that I don't get all the flavor out of that. What do you recommend in time between puffs? So, you know, I've known some friends that are very strict on this. I myself am not. You know, we talked last week about the, or two weeks ago, about the Cigar Smoking World Championships. And those are the guys that really focus on the time and stuff like that. Zeno Davidoff wrote the book on cigar etiquette. And he says one minute a a puff every one minute. I say puff when you feel like it. And I kind of feel the cigar, and the ring gauge of the cigar has a big di- a big impact on how often I puff. Yeah, I mean, the the bigger the ring gauge, the, the better it's going to hold on to the flame and kind of self-soothe and self-smolder. If you've got a Lancero, for example, you're going to have to tend to that cigar a bit more to keep it lit. So with a 6x60, yeah, you can go a little bit longer. You could probably go two minutes between puffs on your cigar and not have to worry about it going out. Something like a Petite Corona or maybe even a little Senorita, you're going to have to puff on that probably every 45 seconds or so to keep it lit. And I consider it a personal failure if my cigar goes out during the smoking. It generally, to me, means that I'm toting too much of the conversation. I'm spending too much time talking. Some of that's on the cigar. I mean, you, I, I don't. Some of that is just you know, if it's a little bit of a wetter cigar, if maybe the humidity was a little high in whatever particular humidor, you know, that could be a cause of it as well. Uh, construction can impact that. But it, by and large, I'd say you're right. You know, if you're if you're letting the cigar go out, you're probably not. You're probably talking quite a bit. Yeah, you're probably not. You know, I don't. Once you relight a cigar, it's just kind of never the same. I disagree. I, but I think it depends on how long you wait after it has gone out before you relight. I think if you relight it immediately, like, oh, it just kind of goes out while you're smoking it and relight it, I don't think you notice a difference. But if it gets cold, that's the, that's the defining for me. If that cigar gets cold before I relight it, then I think that's... And I, I couldn't even begin to imagine what the science is behind that or whether there even is any science behind that. But for me... 
if you if you you know sit on it like let it go for thirty minutes or whatever, then I think yeah, you definitely change the integrity of the smoke by relighting it. Yeah, I think that, and and I'm prone to massage my cigars a little, probably a little more than I should as I smoke them. I'm shiatsu always shiatsu or hot stone. Uh, generally shiatsu, hot stone, hot stone will tear the wrapper. Yeah. But generally, you know, I'm always squeezing and pushing and rolling and kind of, um, I don't want to say fondling, but I'm always, you know, pawing at my cigar. Manipulating. That's a good word for it. I pro- I'm prone to manipulate my cigar more when I'm smoking, especially when it's a situation like this where we're talking about cigars. I find myself really working it. And to me, the mark of a good cigar is do I burn the band? If I'm enjoying the cigar so much that... You lose the, track of... Yeah, yeah. The flame actually touches the band. To me, that's a cigar that's really doing its job. Yeah. Oh, it's it's taking you out of the moment. It's allowing you to just kind of focus on it and just kind of zen out, I guess. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of box presses, because I'm the same way. I rotate my cigar quite a bit. And this, the, the anniversary, the 20th anniversary Perdomo is a... Uh, is I've it's always been box pressed. This one's not really. I can kind of feel the edges, but it doesn't look box pressed. Right. But uh, yeah, I tend not to go for box press because I do. I roll the cigar around a lot, and I tend to move it in my hand. And with the box press, you lose some of that. Well, and you know, my brother, he's the world's worst. He'll smoke the wrapper right off a cigar. And all you know, he works with his hands every day. He's got calloused hands. He's yeah. got harder hands, and he starts pawing on a cigar, and you actually start seeing. And and usually he's smoking like a Cuba that does not have the toughest toughest wrapper in the humidor. Right. And that's one of the things you have to think about. You know, a Maduro wrapper, a darker, thicker wrapper is going to take a little more abuse than a true Connecticut, and especially more than a flavored cigar. Right. I think the flavoring process tends to thin the wrapper on those cigars just a little bit more or they use a little cheaper wrapper because they're flavoring it yeah i think it could be well the the connecticut wrapper is what's used most often on those cigars and it's just a lighter thinner more fragile wrapper to begin with so between puffs it kind of depends on your ring gauge and you just i think you have to develop a feel for it yeah i think so too you know it's everyone's different you know we talk about it all the time there's no hard fast rule in any of this but, yeah, I think you don't want to be constantly smoking it. You don't want to be, you know, steam training it. Yeah. And I never let it just hang in my mouth. That's never, I, I never do that. I either lay it in the ashtray or hold it off to the side. I only do that when I'm putting. <coughs> when you're putting, you hold it? In my mouth, yeah. I have I have a holder for that. I have one of the little... Um, divot repair tools that have the rest on top yeah and i just stick that in the green and lay my cigar on that and then do my putting and move i have one of those too but oftentimes i'll just right between the teeth make my butt sink the eagle and then move on with my day if it goes on if your putting goes on long enough that your cigar goes out it's time to hit the putting green right (laughs) yeah you know, it's time, it's time to tighten up your golf game just a little if you find yeah. your cigar going out in between putts. If you need Braille to read the green, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they call me the farmer. <laughs> That's an old Greg Hahn joke. But I do think resting your cigar is important. We don't want to power through our cigars. Um, you know, a 6 by 60 I think, should last close to an hour. I think you should be closer to an hour than you should I think you should, should be, be closer to an hour and a half to maybe even two. You think so? Yeah. Uh, a, a Robusto should be about 45. I think a Toro should be about an hour 15. That's just the pace I tend to smoke. You know, I've smoked Toros for an hour and 45, two hours without them going out. You know, it just depends on the cigar, depends on the day, depends on the smoker. But I think you should be looking close to two hours for a 6x60. Yeah, probably should. I probably smoke hotter and faster than I should. Yeah. You know, in a lot of instances. And... You know, we talked at the beginning of the show how we're coming up on the best time of year for cigars. You know, we're just a week, less than a week away from what football season is going to happen. College football season is going to kick off, and there's going to be a lot of cigars enjoyed here while watching the football game. Mm -hmm. And my marker is if I get a 6 by 60 and I make it to halftime on that cigar, I feel like I have done an excellent job. Yeah, that'd be about an hour and a half. Yeah, that'd be about the right pace. That's about the right the right tenure the right what do they call it in music tempo tempo thank you 
the right tempo to enjoy your cigar mm-hmm. and all. And it, it depends on how much, you know, how much hollering you're doing and hooping and how passionate you happen to be about that particular. And, you know, especially if you're watching a game on TV, you're probably having conversation with your neighbor in between plays and stuff like that, too. So all of those things, the environment and everything goes goes into that. So this is a phenomenon you only see at the cigar shop, in my opinion. Four guys are sitting outside having cigars right now. And about every 20 minutes, one of them gets up and goes and gets four beers and brings it out there. And they rotate perfectly. And I bet they never, ever have to say, oh, it's your turn to go get the beer. Right. And uh, they've been rotating clockwise. If you'll watch them, it's clockwise rotation. <laughs> they go, they come in, get four beers, go back out. They come in. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful dance to watch at the Cigar Lounge. Well, it reminds me a lot, and the Europeans are really good about this. When you go out to the bar here, everyone kind of orders their own as they go. In Europe, by and large in, in the UK, you don't buy your own beer, you buy around. So however many, that's where the session beer is a, is a term you'll hear. And the idea is that you can sit however many guys you have at the table is pretty much how many beers you're going to have that night. So don't go out with a whole bunch of people. Yeah, a crowd of eight. But but the way they do it is very similar to what you see here. Is is one person? I'll get this round. I'll get the next round. And uh, you know, and it kind of rotates. I think it's a more communal way of doing things. Our friend, a friend of ours, just got back from London. He and I were talking, and I didn't realize in London if you just go in and say give me a pint, they give you Guinness. And all uh, that's just considered the beer of choice. When you say give me a pint, they're going to pour you a pint of Guinness. Huh. I didn't know that either. Yeah, they may have 20 beers on tap, and if you walk in and say, give me a pint, they'll just reach for that black candle and pour you a Guinness. Hmm. Interesting, interesting thing, and Guinness is okay. I mean, I like, as much as I like any beer, I like Guinness. It was never, a, I was never a fan. Too sweet. Too sweet, too much, yeah. too much syrupy yeah. type flavor to it. You like a little more bitterness. Plus, I was always a big fan of carbonation. You know, Guinness is, is on nitrous as opposed to CO2. And I've never been a big fan of any beer or even coffee. They do nitro coffee now. I don't like anything on nitrogen. I prefer carb uh, CO2. Okay, well, that's interesting. That's a, just a, an interesting it's a texture fact. thing. So let's talk about an accessory before we. Yes, I was hoping land you would this. get to this. I've yes. got thoughts. So, Lotus Jaws V Cutter. I was so, expecting it to look like a Bond villain. <laughs> Well, the Lotus Jaws, I have one. I really like it. It's a serrated cutter. It's a, The original Lotus Jaws is a serrated flat cutter. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I liked the serration. I felt like it gave me a little bit more grip. Now, the only thing you can't do is you can't do the lay it under the cap and rotate it around with that serration. Right. It just, it, it mauls the cigar. But I think have. so few people do that anyway. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's a very common practice. Well, I, I need a caliper. Because if you're aware that your cut has got deeper in the past six months? No. To, to, I would love to have a collection of the caps off your cigars for the past six months because you're consistently cutting them a little deeper. Well, in this, which is funny because if you had seen the um, cigar that I was smoking when I came in tonight, I just barely got the cap on that one. But, I, but the case tonight, though, is because I was using your... Calibri twin double, uh-huh. double cut, and I just went to the backing of it and cut. I just I didn't even try and get my preferred depth. I just went to the backer and I sliced it. So my cut is always going to be if I'm not doing the V cut, which I'd say 80% of the cigars I smoke I V cut, and I love the Calibri deep V. But if I'm going to use a flat cut, I'm going to take just as little off as I possibly can. Yeah, and that's that's what I go for as well. And generally, I'll take the cut, and then I'll just take and do a test draw, do a cold draw, and see, okay, is this drawing enough? Do I need to take a little more off? Because I never want to cut again once the cigar is lit. Right. And what, for me, I want, when I put the cutter on the end of the cigar, typically what I'll do is I'll put my index finger on the end of the cap. And if I'm afraid of actually cutting my finger in the process, then I know I've got it thin enough. Right. You've got, yeah, you've, you've achieved that perfect cut because you don't want to take the cap off. Right. I don't actually want to cut my finger, but I want it to be thin enough that I'm like, ooh, this might get a little hairy. Yeah. Yeah, that's when you've done it. And you were using an unfamiliar cutter, but right. back to the Lotus Jaws V-Cutter. So this is a serrated V-Cut. And I have one question. Why? Why? It doesn't make any sense. Now, 
I love the serrated lotus cutter. We talked about it with Jonathan the other week. Um, you know, it just it it's a it holds its edge really well until it doesn't. But it, you know, it holds its edge very very well. It stays sharp for a very long time. I don't see why it's necessary on a V cutter. It feels like you're going to. It feels like they're going to catch and and maul and rip as it goes through the cap of the wrapper. Right. Yeah, it, it feels... And plus, this is not the deep V, and I don't use any Vs that are just not the deep V. Right. If it's just scratching a V out of the cap, I don't use that V cutter. I want it deep. I want the Calibri, and now Zycar has even taken the idea, and they have a knockoff of the deep V. Right. And this looks like a fairly deep version of a V cutter, but it, it's definitely not as deep as Calibri's. And everyone's kind of going that way, because when, I mean, when Calibri released that V-cutter, everyone went ape over it, you know, and clearly they were onto something. So everyone's trying to recreate it. And, you know, the design of this cutter is fine. It looks like a Lotus cutter. It, it looks the same as all their others. But yeah, I just can't get over it. One, I am glad that they did it correctly in that it's the inverted V. We've Calibri wasn't the first to do that, but one of the things that we've started seeing more and more is you no longer see the V-cuts that come to a single point. Now they're inverted. And I'm glad to see that on this because basically it gives you a, a more of a slicing motion than a pinching motion as you're cutting through the cigar. Yeah, if it's just, if it's just flat on the V, you, you still run the risk of squishing the end of the cigar. Yeah. Um, especially if it is just a softer cigar by nature, right? You know, if it's if it's a Connecticut and it's been humidified, maybe even a little over humidified, you can actually end up crushing the end and affecting your draw somewhat with that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm glad they did it that way. But this kind of um, it's pretty. It is. I mean, now actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna second guess myself here a little bit because when I was selling the V cutter. I used to always talk about the inverted V as being a selling feature because, yeah, like you mentioned, if it comes to a point, you're creating a single pressure point on the tip of your cigar, and you run the risk of, of breaking that wrapper. But a serrated blade, by its definition, is meant to slice. So perhaps, you know, so by doing it inverted, what you end up with is more of a slicing motion through the body of the cigar. Maybe this, maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe the serration will actually perform its task very well. Like, it's the same reason you use a serrated blade on a tomato instead of a, a regular blade, because it just gives you that smoother motion on something really fragile. It may, it may work. Maybe the fine people at Lotus will mail us one to check it out. I, I would love that if they would. Yeah, if they'd mail us one, we would. De- that would definitely go a long <laughs> way toward getting them right. a good review. Yeah, exactly. And all. But on the on the front end, you know, I'm, I'm not sure... Um, it doesn't say in this article. I'm looking in this article to see if it gives a price on this particular cut. Uh, I'm showing about thirty-two bucks. Yeah, and that's not that's a that's a reasonable price for a top quality anodized aluminum yeah, V cut. It's cheaper than the Calibri. Yeah. So, and I and I think because it's not spring loaded, it's not engineered quite as much. I think that's fair. I, um, yeah, you know, I've talked myself into it. I think I like it. But my favorite cut, by and large, always will be a table cutter. I would always rather use a table cutter as a handheld cutter. See, I would bite the end of my cigar off before I'd use a table cutter. In most cases. See, I've got I've got the um, the Calibri, the block. That's a that's an exception to the rule. And uh, what is it? The quartz. Uh, cor- uh, the quasar. Quasar. That's it. Quasar. And I love that I can lay my cigar in, I can smack it like I'm, you know, calling the showcase showdown on the prices right, <laughs> and my cigar gets a good, quick, even cut. Yeah. And I, I always, but I've always preferred a table cutter. So even that metal monstrosity with a little jack uh, uh, slot machine arm. Yeah. No whammies. No whammies. No whammies. Oh. Yeah. See, I hate that because it's a single blade that moves on an arc. So your cigar always ends up with a certain, like, scalloped edge to it. I hate that. Yeah, kind of a half-moon cut. Yeah. And I'll, but uh, I'll give it a try. I mean, he gets them in here. I'll probably give it a try. I'll yeah, probably take I'd, it for a test I, drive. I'd definitely take that for a test drive. Like I said, I, the, the serration, I've, I've come around on it. I think it might be crazy enough to work. Well, and in the next show, I do want us to talk about game changers because the, the Calibri was a game changer. It absolutely was. 
and I, and there's and it's I love being around an industry where new advances are being made and where stuff can happen that'll just change everything for you. Yeah. You know, if you change the way I smoke, you've really done something because human beings we're creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that in a future show. We're about to wrap it up here for the night. Um, my review of the Punch Diablo is excellent. And the same with my, I mean, they're two vastly different cigars, but my 20th anniversary Sungrown here has been really, really fitting the bill for me tonight. Yeah, I mean, I, I will call the Punch Diablo excellent. I think I'll definitely want to get one of the larger Vitolas. Mm-hmm. And give it a shot and see see if the larger Vitola is still this good. Because this was, you know, it was a Toro size, basically. Yeah. And at, at a Toro size, that's not something I'm I'm used to smoking, but it packed a lot of flavor in that Toro. I don't know. The the giant, the 6x60 may choke me to death. Yeah, very Especially the first couple of draws. You were, you were getting cross-eyed there for a minute. Well, and I'm, I'll, have, I'll have my seatbelt on. I'll be a little better prepared for there that next go. one. But... <laughs> Until next week, how do they get a hold of us? All right. Facebook.com slash the cigar cast. You can uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the cigar cast. And drop us a line at uh, via email at info at the cigar cast.com. And you know, this week I took the time, I listened to about 10 podcasts regularly. I've got a regular rotation, about 10 podcasts that I listen to that I enjoy. And I took the time. I said, I can't sit and ask people to write a review on my podcast if I'm not willing to do it. And I took the time. It took me 20 minutes to just go through and write a review on every podcast that I listen to. Yeah, I did that a couple of weeks ago as well. I've got some that I've been listening to for over 10 years, and I haven't you know, taken the time to go and review them. So I made sure and did that as well. I mean, the podcast is free, and it gives me hours of joy. I can take 10 minutes and write you know, what I like about the show so that maybe somebody else can, and we would ask everyone to please do that for the Cigar Cast if you have the opportunity. All right. Well, you all listening have homework, and until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.